4,000 Words is funded by the generosity of the patrons of Infinite Hermit Productions. If you'd like to contribute and get access to works in progress, complete stories, exclusive podcasts and Parapod movie, pictures, updates and rarities, please visit patreon.com forward slash Ian Bowlesworth or visit ianbowlesworth.co.uk for more details. does a very odd thing to your body. Not a fleeting concern that something untoward is on the way. Not an anxious surge when confronted with an undesirable social scenario. I mean true panic. The panic that's more than a feeling. More than an emotion. The sort that grips your very soul and turns you to ice. Holding you too close and too tight. Shock has a similar symptom set. A dizzying, overwhelming sense of lethargy, your entire body leaden and numb. As Peter deleted the misspelt words from his search engine for the third time, it crossed his mind that he was riddled with a double hit of both panic and shock. Please, Lord. He didn't have time to succumb to it, and attempted to take a deep breath to settle himself. As he exhaled, he heard a moan of desperation. Like a child awoken from a nightmare, still dazed and terrified as reality finds clarity. The clarity of Peter's reality was most unwelcome, though. He didn't want it any clearer than it already was. He had to concentrate and find his way through this, at least start to awaken. He needed to seize calm and shield himself within it, but in his core he was screaming and scared. Take strength, Peter from the Almighty. Okay, just, just take a second. Type it again. Recall, text, message. He tapped each letter with precision and paused at the end of every word, making sure he pressed the right button to override the autocorrect that had so far offered him rehab text message recall text news agent and really twat massage. There wasn't a laugh in him for any of them. This was bad. This was very, very bad. The search engine threw up the results and there, up top, was exactly what he'd hoped to see. It was instructions, step by step. Thank God. Thank God for instructions. He scanned over them. The word action jumped out. The word recall jumped out. The word delete jumped out. Each of them a glorious salvation, and his body seemed to recover a quarter of its control. He continued to scan and saw the phrase, unread message. The caveat wasn't ideal, but he was in the market for small mercies. How many people would have opened it immediately? There was hope of At the very least, damage limitation. Some would have their phone off. Some wouldn't have heard the text tone. Some would be driving. Some would be in movies. 
In that larger group of mobile numbers, there was an excellent chance of a good chunk of them never even knowing there'd been a text there in the first place. It was the first time he'd allowed himself to even think of the reality that some were family numbers. His brother could be sorted. It had been a lifetime of mockery, but he could suck that up. It wasn't the end of the world if his brother got that text, but he really hoped his mum was driving. Please, please let her be driving, or already dead, because this would see her off. He berated himself for even thinking such a thing. Okay, calm. Let's read through this step by step and hit every button carefully. Slow and steady wins the race. Go to the message tab. Okay, where's the message tab? Where would that be? He opened his texts and tried to avert his eyes from the last one he sent. A tab. He was looking for a tab. Which icon would be a tab? He clicked and a blank text opened on his phone, the cursor pulsing the same rhythm as a slowly shaking head. He looked for the button to close the message, double checked and blinked. Definitely that one. He clicked it and the blank message disappeared. Whatever else came of today, he had learnt the dangers of being casual. A stable door, sealed amongst the dust of a long departed horse. He double-clicked his home screen and selected his search results page again. Go to the message tab. Yep, couldn't find the message tab. What else? Maybe he would recognise the locations in a later instruction and could find his way there. He scanned again, noticing for the first time that his search words were in bold. Recall stood out. Message reappeared several times. He looked again. Recall text message was in the search bar, but in the results, text. Where's the word text? You'd think that secondary panic would be somewhat tempered, as the body had already adjusted. Peter's secondary panic made him go deaf. He could still hear the whir of the fan heater in his dormitory room, but it sounded much further away. It was like he was underwater. He instinctively tried to force a yawn, willing his ears to pop. But the only clear sound remained the pounding of his terrified heart. This is for recalling emails. This isn't for texts. He'd sent a photo in a text, not an email. He'd sent the same text of his cock, gripped in his hand, to everyone in that message group. Absolutely everyone. He scrolled down to the other results, and the sentence beginning with, unfortunately, dropped him off the edge of a cliff. He didn't even read the sentence. He just saw the words, unfortunately, recall, text, currently, and no way. He scrolled down further, adverts for virus software, another few for recalling emails. His screen went momentarily black, and then his mother was staring at him. The picture of her from her 70th birthday, holding aloft a glass of wine, eyes clearly three sheets to the wind. Delete that, Peter, she'd shouted far too loudly in the restaurant, and everyone had laughed as he announced he was making that her allocated picture in his address book. He'd giggled as he went into his phone, and his father had to wipe away gleeful tears 
whilst telling his mother that Peter was actually doing it. It was the only time he remembered seeing his mother off guard. His father was far less consistent with his formidability, but this photo captured the solitary evening he'd been party to any sense of his mother having a buried sliver of hedonism. If he had been capable of calm, rational thought, he could have taken hope from this, that there was a window of understanding to decadent temptations. As it was, he had never wanted to see that picture less than he did right now. The incoming call disappeared. Immediately, a text filled his screen. Mmm, hot. Then another picture. Like? What an idiot he'd been. Why would he do that? She'd made him, that's why. It was her fault. The lust provoked by this wanton harpy had overruled his regular sensibilities. She'd manipulated him, whored him into weakness for her own demonic cravings. He looked at her smirking face, gazing up at him from the picture. The camera above her, back arched and eyes wide and innocent, goading his desire with her uncovered body. She'd forced her phone number onto him in the union bar, which he'd soon recognised as the done thing in these first four weeks away. They were everywhere, flinging themselves at the guys with so much flesh on show. So much. Not just in the union bar, they'd hunted in packs at all the freshers' events. And between seminars, sitting outside in the grounds, as the last strains of summer allowed their exhibitionism, igniting the debauchery and causing situations like this one. He paused and frowned at her nakedness before deleting the picture. His mother once placidly told him that the blood needed for an erection was diverted directly from the brain, that Satan targeted the loins of the weak. Was this girl under his evil influence? Had that beauty and flirtation been wielded to destroy Peter's rebuilt resolve? He slapped his hand hard against his own face, repeatedly. After all that had happened, he had folded to libidinous destruction again. After they kissed as they left the Union Bar, he'd received a picture message from her on the shuttle bus home. Her eyebrows were raised and her mouth held open in mock shock. Again, it was taken from above, giving him a clear view down her top. He diverted his eyes from his own phone screen and taken a steadying breath. He didn't reply to that message. He didn't know how to. Tonight had been an instruction though. He'd known he was flying too close to the wind, playfully indulging her flirtatious messages until eventually... Send pics. And he had. He'd raised eyebrows, looked to the side, pulled silly and serious faces. She'd returned with LOLs and thank yous. And then a pause. He'd stared at his screen in her silence. Eventually she said that she hadn't meant those sorts of pics. He acted dumb, well, dumber, but his heart was already thumping in anticipation. What did she mean then, he'd written, adding a confused emoticon face. There'd been no real confusion though. He waited again before a blushing emoticon was sent back his way. He may very well have got on the wrong end of the dick pics, but his heart continued to pound. And a beat later, when the devil-faced emoticon came through, 
it almost burst from his chest. How did he not see that sign? A devil face! That, she typed, you know, followed by ellipses that charged off into the night. A photo message, with her staring intently and sucking on two fingers, sealed the deal. He renounced everything and unzipped. Stupid. Weak and stupid. His world had collapsed. Okay, okay, just stop. Stop. Take a breath. Look at this calmly. No, not calmly. Calmly was asking too much. Just try and detach for a second. Grab some perspective from anywhere. Anne Wardell pulled on the handbrake. She would not normally drive to and from the church, but she was bringing back the gowns this evening and didn't wish to have the aromas of others heaped against her. The overexertion of some of the bell ringers was clearly a posturing designed to impress. Impress who? Goodness only knew. But if it were for her praise, then they'd entered a stallion into the wrong race. She was ahead of them, and not just in the eyes of the Lord. She'd seen them earlier, on their journey to the church. They hadn't seen her. She'd been posting her weekly letter to Peter at university, and they'd been marching down the other side of the road, loud and extravagant. The solitary girl among three men, Georgina, had been the worst culprit. Even from her limited vantage point behind the postbox, Anne could clearly see Georgina's showy grinning as those three buffoons fawned over her. She had spotted it on impact, the second Georgina had joined the church, unable to have a conversation without placing her hand on the arm of whoever she was snaring, laughs that threw her head back in dreadful affectation. Anne would sometimes find herself frozen and staring, lips pursed at this, well, whatever she was. She was not appropriate, and those foolish men should know better at their ages. Bad enough to see it as they mobbed their way down the high road, but in the Lord's house, it was unforgivably illicit. Anne didn't like that any of their garments were in her car. She turned off the engine and checked the gear stick was in neutral, before patting her hand on the handbrake in a last check. As she got out of the car, she minded to avert her gaze from the oaf next door. It often appeared that Jimmy would wait in his hallway until somebody arrived to break up the monotony of his existence, and the rare occasions where he failed to make an appearance, as her car pulled into the drive, were as conspicuous as they were welcome. Nicer today, Anne, he chanted across at her. She despised demands for attention, and she despised statements designed for validation. This was both. It is, she smiled with forced warmth over the immaculate hedge that fell on her side of the boundary. She closed the car door and quickly moved towards the house, irritated that this brisk escape enforced a change of priority. Those gowns would be allowed to ferment in the enclosed space. Her car would stink of Georgina. Enjoy the sun, won't be much more, Jimmy shouted at her retreat. God bless. She closed her eyes in disdain. God does not bless. Not how this ignoramus meant it. God tolerates and bides his time. God judges 
He does not furnish blessings beyond the universal blessing of existence. After that, under his discerning almighty eyes, you're on parole. She fought a smirk as she considered the Almighty's undoubtedly harsh judgment of Jimmy, with his greed-fed obesity, dishevelled clothing, and blasphemous divorce. The front door opened and she stepped inside, placing her mobile phone on the side table and hanging up her keys on the hook. As she removed her coat, her phone chimed, a text alert. Greg's phone vibrated against his ear. He was leaving a message for that girl Tanya, the second year who'd been organising the freshest school disco. she checked his ticket on the evening, when there'd been an issue with his stamps, and they chatted as she waited for another card for him. She'd made a joke about the blazer and cap he'd been wearing, and he'd attempted to entice her with talk of cigarettes and bite sheds. She'd agreed to join him there, at break time, with a giggle and a wink, and he'd headed into the marquee. Of course there wasn't actually a break, and there wasn't actually a bike sheds, but he'd taken her on board in his thoughts. He'd walked past her a couple of times that evening, as she stood by the entrance, still monitoring the attendees arriving, and shook his cigarette pack with raised eyebrows. She'd smiled back and given him a nod, every time. Since then, though, there'd been no contact. He'd got her number from the student directory and played it cool in his messages. She never picked up. That was okay though. He never picked his phone up either. He dropped the call, halfway through her answer phone message about the Ents committee, and saw the message from Pete. Greg had also met Pete during Freshers' Week and remained unsure as to whether this was a good or bad thing. He was sort of serious, and he sent messages a lot. This would be another one, explaining that he didn't feel it right to go to the union bar again. And he'd reply with his usual bargaining, until eventually the conversation would get to the actual point of the girls, and Greg would pep-talk Pete back into the game. Greg didn't know many people of their age who hadn't got to the point of understanding girls yet, and that you had to play them by their own rules. It was very simple. Absorb the attitude then go in hard. Let them play their tits and ass games, and at the point where they think they've hooked you, you hook them. That was exactly what Greg was doing with that Tanya. He let her think she was in charge. He let her humour him at the school disco, let her ignore his messages, but he was on her radar now. There would come a time when his number would be a lifeline in her phone. He knew that when she did eventually call, and she would, he had the upper hand before a word was even spoken. He was smirking about this when he opened the text from Pete. It took a moment to load, then the image filled his screen. What? he said quietly, until his eyes deciphered what he was looking at, and he howled. Oh, fuck me! He hit reply and hammered the letters keys fast, shouting through to his flatmate Jamie as he did. You're not going to catch much with that, mate. It had begun. Peter deleted the text immediately. He'd buried the thought that this would be a part of the nightmare, but immediately his friend was commenting on specifics. The terror response that he considered from the girl was coming from Greg. 
He'd held his cock tight at the base and strained when he took the picture. But there was no illusionary success. Anyone could tell, and everyone would know. He quickly deleted another picture text from her, pouting and less convincingly innocent. You still there? She'd asked with it. Devil. Heathen. Slut. He growled from deep within himself as his second chance fell away. There was no longer panic. There was a drive and determination rising in him. He deserved this fate. His mother had tried so hard, and this is how he had repaid her. And the Lord. Clasping his hands tightly together, he began to mutter prayer. His throat was hoarse from the sobs that had started, and his words near silent, but the heavens would hear his immediate repentance. His phone rang again. His mother, smiling, again stared at him. He couldn't. There were no words. He could never again speak to her. To be that disappointment, again, after last time, the baby. He let it ring out and dug his nails hard into himself as he prayed. Sweet Lord, forgive once more, please. His mother had forbidden the termination, and then so had he. The life he'd foolishly been complicit in creating was not to be cast aside in punishment for his lack of control. She'd hit him hard across the face on hearing the news, and glared her icy condemnation. She had told him, time and time again, this is what they will do. They open their legs like a fly trap and steal everything from you in your pathetic surrender. He hadn't thought of Jess that way. She'd been gentle and caring, and the love he felt from her enveloped him tenderly. He'd believed they had been careful, that they'd not done anything wrong. Mother had not accepted this, and in time, nor did he. She must have done something. Something he didn't know about. That's what they do. In their final heated phone call, as Jess cried quietly down the line that the child had already gone, he screamed his hatred, his mother's hatred. Jess had been pleading something about her father and her own mother holding her hand, about blood, but he continued to scream, eventually falling to his knees. His mother had taken the phone from him and administered cool, precise, parting shots before hanging up, and Jess was gone forever. She had not lifted him from his knees. She'd stood over him and spoken quietly, the same tone with which she'd dispatched Jess. If you are ruled by your seed, you are as weak as sin itself. You become sin. This was not his decision to make. He was here to serve the Lord, not himself. These sluts would continue to tempt him, and if he succumbed, the result would always be him brought to his knees. She was right. He now knelt on the floor of his room. He could not do it. He had proved that he was without the strength, and by continuing to exist he would be an asset to Satan. He wanted to reach between his legs and rip himself away, but his hands remained tightly bound together in his final prayer. There was nobody to commend him but himself. 
He begged for forgiveness and meant it. He confessed his sin. Not just this one, all of them. Every lust-filled thought he'd had. Every time he'd been unable to stop his hands. Every release that had proven too unbearable to hold back. And ended with self-loathing, disgust and disappointment. He condemned the whores. He vowed his love to the Lord and prayed that his sacrifice would weaken the agents of hell. Then he silently rose to his feet, asking the Lord to watch over his mother and father, even his brother, who had long since relinquished his belief. Please allow me in, Lord, despite the sin I'm about to commit. Please take me into your arms. He switched off his phone with messages unread locked his door from the inside and swiftly departed. Greg and Jamie had laughed a lot. Jamie wanted to share Pete's mistaken distribution further but Greg shook his head. Not yet. They should enjoy the exclusivity of the club first of all. Eventually, Jamie had wandered back into his own room, leaving Greg alone again. His smile faded the second the door closed. Whilst they'd guffawed, he'd stared at the picture and attempted to compare. This could have been his own dick. It may even have been bigger. He knew that Pete had the same build as him and worked out that he could look at his own leg in comparison to the visible part of leg on Pete's picture to get an accurate assessment. He held his phone out and dropped his jeans, trying to rub his dick hard. He was starting to stress. It was bigger than his. Not much, but anything was enough. He couldn't get hard. Wardell stood at the sitting room window and peered through the slats at the disgusting frame of Jimmy next door, sweating and heaving his bulk behind that incessantly loud lawnmower. It would thankfully be one of the last remaining times of the year that this lumbering waste of space would need to do it. For the third time, she heard Peter's voice say that he was unable to get to the phone right now. She hung up and glared at the screen. Ghastly thing. She recalled when these contraptions had the solitary, easy job of making telephone calls. When there were buttons, not screens. Further back, she remembered when they weren't a constant thing to carry at all. When you were either there or you weren't. When you wouldn't know if somebody had called in your absence. When the stress she was saddled with now would not have been part of her day. Peter had expressly informed her that he would be available that night. He wasn't going out, he would be in his room from four o'clock until the end of the evening. There was nowhere else his phone could be. He had either gone out and left it behind, gone out and didn't hear it ringing, or stayed where he was meant to be and ignored her. Somewhere there had to be deception. Jimmy was looping together the power cord for his lawnmower and she seethed the rising anger with her son in his direction. She hit Peter's name on the screen again and held the phone back to her ear. This time it did not ring out. Peter's voice spoke immediately. She glanced at her car. 
anxious at Georgina's stinking gown still on the back seat. She rolled her tongue around her teeth until Peter's voice was replaced with the bleep. She cleared her throat curtly. Peter, I thought you were going to be home tonight. I've been calling for half an hour and you're not picking up. Ring me immediately when you hear this, please. I got your text, but it said there's not enough storage and to delete storage to download. I've done that and now your message isn't there, so it must have deleted that too. I'm sick of this phone. Call me when you get this. It's your mother. Four Thousand Words is an Infinite Hermit production, written and read by Ian Bowlesworth. The music was by Thomas Funderay. Thousand Words is funded by the generosity of the patrons of Infinite Hermit Productions. If you'd like to contribute and get access to works in progress, complete stories, exclusive podcasts and Parapod movie, pictures, updates and rarities, please visit patreon.com forward slash Ian Bowlesworth or visit ianbowlesworth.co.uk for more details.